Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. For those of you I have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Caden. I'm our youth and young adults pastor. Um, I get to hang out with our middle school and high school students every Tuesday and our young adults um, soon to be twice a month. But last week we talked about, um, we learned that as a people of destiny, we have Christ in us. As followers of Jesus, we have Christ in us. That God chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us, he called us. And we, as a chosen people, are called to be God's representatives, amen? God chose us to show him to the world And that is amazing good news, because the world needs a little bit of Jesus, right? This week's message is called, You Are What You Believe. If you're note-takers, I say this to the youth every week, note-takers are history makers. And they usually repeat it to me, because they know it's coming every week, so you, there's grace. But if we are the church on Monday, if we are carrying Jesus throughout the week, week in and week out, and if he has empowered us and equipped us to represent him, we have to ask ourselves the question, who is it that we're representing? Who is this Jesus guy that we're representing, not just here on Sunday mornings or in casual conversations with friends or family, but who is the Jesus of the Bible? Who is the Jesus that we read about throughout scripture? Who is the son of God that I'm representing, not just here on Sunday, because who agrees it can be really easy to represent him here, but not on Monday, right? Who is Jesus? And I think think that there are many believers who, who try really hard to be committed to Jesus. We try really, really hard but we don't actually have a solid foundation and a solid, solid Christian philosophy. In other words, we don't necessarily think Christianly outside of church on Sunday when we're trying to be the church on Monday. Jerry Cook says this best. He says, a fallen culture has given us a distorted perspective, a worldview overlaid by cultural tents and filters that block us from true understanding. Though Christian, we view life in a very secular way. I think many of us have adopted and embraced a God of popular culture rather than the God of the Bible. And I think it can be hard to kind of hold the mirror up like John's illustration on Easter, hold the mirror up and actually ask yourselves, am I serving the God of popular culture or am I serving the God of the Bible? And it's hard to kind of look at it sometimes and ask yourself the question, is that me? Am I the person who, who really doesn't understand who Jesus is or I have pre- preconceived notions of who God is? And some of us maybe have a poor Christology or poor philosophy or in, in lack of better terms, we have a bad theology of who Jesus is. Theology meaning um, how we view Jesus' role, nature, and personhood that we read about in the Bible. Do we have a good, solid theology of who Jesus is so when we walk into Monday, we know how to represent him really well? And from that flawed theology, sometimes it gives us a false reality of who Jesus actually is. And as a people of destiny who are called to be Jesus in the world because Jesus is within us, right? 
working through us, we need to have a good theology, a good biblical view of who God is. Why? Because when we have a true and biblical view of God, that is our foundation from which our confidence and courage builds us up to be the church on Monday. And when we feel confident in knowing God personally and knowing who he is and what he's about, it helps us move out of these four walls that we're sitting in and out into the streets where there is so much brokenness and so much pain and so many hurt people seeking the hope of a savior who we know as Jesus. That is where the good biblical view comes from, the good theology comes from, because it helps us explain who Jesus actually is to the people who are living in this community and in the world. The the apostle, apostle, everybody say apostle, you're helping me, understood this and it motivated his prayer for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 19, Paul says this, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe." Now, the apostles, we know this, they prayed many, many prayers, and not all of them were were recorded in Scripture. But some prayers, like this one, were so significant, so uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they were made part of the revelation of God for the church in all ages, forever and ever. And this is one of those prayers. It is more than a prayer for the local church In the past, this is a prayer intended for us. Today, here in Lompoc, California, this prayer was intended for us just as much as it was intended for the church in Ephesus. With that being said, we're going to talk about prayer just here for a minute, but many people have misconceptions about prayer. Many people view prayer maybe not in the exact way that we're supposed to. They think we can tend to think that when we pray we're convincing God to do something. Well, I know it's funny. It's funny when you actually say it out loud. I have a two-year-old. Uh, his name is Maximus. I love him to death. Um, he's awesome, but he thinks he owns the world. He needs a sibling very badly. And we're in that stage where we are trying to teach the thank yous and the pleases and like, you know, kind of like manners that a two-year-old can have, but he's a two-year-old, so like they're still running into walls and they're still crying and they're still, all the, the, the emotions that he's learning, right? It's hard to actually teach him. But he thinks the word please means I get whatever the heck I want when I want it and I want it now. <laughs> So he's developed this idea, this way of thinking where, where he loves cookies. Um, he calls them sugar. He goes, I need sugar. I want sugar. And he started to do this thing where we're, we're sitting and we're maybe watching TV or we're hanging out with Maximus, and he goes, cookie, please. 
And Courtney or I look at him and we go, no, it's not, we're not going to have a cookie right now. It's almost bedtime. You know, cookie, please. You're like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. You don't get a cookie. And he goes, no, please. <laughs> and you're like, where did you learn this? <laughs> and he just keeps going over and over and over again. And his please gets meaner and meaner and meaner. And he starts to have the scowl a little bit, which I will take credit for. The scowl is from me. But he's developed this thing where please isn't asking with a question or an answer that can go either way. Please is no, this is mine and I want it now. Prayer does not persuade a reluctant God to act. God isn't sitting in a big recliner in the sky waiting for us to say the right words so he can get up and move. It's not a, sim- it's not a simple maybe... If I say the right words, I can twist God's arm and I can get him to move for me, right? Like, hey, God, I am your super awesome disciple. My name is Caden, and I just really need you to do this for me right now. That's just not how it works. That's not how we need to view prayer. That's not how we need to view how God is going to move in our lives. Because who would God be if he needed our prayers to take action? Who would God be if he needed our prayers to take action, because if that was true, God wouldn't be God, we would be God because we could get God to move. And I'm gonna say that one more time because somebody needs to hear it in the room. If God needed to hear us pray in order for him to take action, he would not be God, we would be God. God's not in a recliner, God is on a throne. But what can happen often is that our personal Personal theology often puts God in the wrong chair. It places us in this weird position of telling God what to do and waiting for him to act. When to do it, how to do it, the exact timing of when I need it is how we often approach God within prayers. Are they prayers? Yes, they are prayers. We're we're talking to God on a personal level. We're asking him for things, which is fine, but they are not prayers. They are prayers not with a kingdom mindset, but with a personal agenda. Whether it be a good agenda or a bad agenda, they're our agenda. And I'm not saying that you can't ask God for what we want. We know God knows the desires of our hearts. If we need healing, God is going to help heal us. If, If we need God to just save us from a situation, we can say, God, save me. God, show up in my life. God, bring healing. God, bring freedom. We know all of these things are good because we know God is our provider. Amen? But it's all about where our heart is at within these prayers. Are we aligning with the kingdom? Are we aligning with the your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus models this for us when he's praying in the garden before he's taken to be crucified. He literally asks God if there's any way to not do this, please save me. He's expressing his heart to the Father, and in the same breath, he is also praying, even still, your will be done. God, help align my heart to your heart. Help me be on board with what you are doing here in this world. Prayer is the means by which you and I get inside insight into what God is doing in our world, the action he is taking at the present time. Prayer is when we enter into his plan and ask to receive his perspective. And we do this by asking the Holy Spirit to direct us as we pray and as we seek out your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I was talking to Pastor John this week before he, he took off. Tyler's graduated, by the way. Tyler, if you're watching, congratulations. He's probably not watching. But I was talking to Pastor John, and he kind of gave me this little nugget, and he says, I don't think prayer changes God's heart as much as it changes mine. Which is, which is, is true. God is who he is, but when we seek him out to align with his plan and his purposes, it changes us. It doesn't change him. So with all of this about prayer in mind, we're going to go back to Paul's, church, Paul's prayer to the church of Ephesus. When Paul prays, he isn't asking God to do something that he, he doesn't want to do. He is asking God to help us see what he is already doing. And there's two points to his prayer that I want to look at today. The first one being, may, the God, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the second one being that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened or the eyes of your heart would be turned on to see in a new way, to see in a Jesus kind of way. Why? So that we can know God better. So that we can understand his plans and his purposes, so we can understand how God is moving in this world. But so often, like we talked about earlier, we can let the secular world shape our view of, of Jesus instead of letting the word of God shape our view of Jesus. Our understanding of God can't be limited to human understanding. We must be enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need wisdom and we need revelation to understand who God is and how he is working within our world. We have to be, hear me, we have to be able to transcend human logic, learning, and understanding. I don't know about you, but I have such a tendency to view things through my own lens, right? They're my eyeballs, so I view them this way. But I love to make things make sense. I love things to be logical, and I love things to be straight to the point. I am very black and white in my thinking, and a lot of the time I think, Lord, you should think the same way that I think, because it's the right way. <laughs> I, I like things to make sense, but a lot of the times I've realized in my, in my walk with Jesus is the things of God, the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom often don't make sense in my, my human brain. And if I'm not careful, I can assume that God sees things the way that I see them. I can assume because I think about it this way, God also must think about it in the same way. <laughs> but Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than you, than yours, sorry, excuse me, than yours. Paul says, I want you to understand God but you can't limit your approach to what's logical to you. When we become intellectual in our approach to God, he all of a sudden has to fit into the boxes that we construct or that we make. I can't be the one who defines God. You can't be the one who defines God. Because when we begin to think that way, we move farther from the truth and the knowledge and the revelation that God wants to give us, and we begin to get in a mindset, especially when it comes to reading scripture and creating a personal theology, where we begin to say things like, I don't agree with that. Or I know the Bible says this, but I just can't understand it. Or it doesn't fit into how my world works, so I can't agree with it. 
it disrupts your life, so you don't want to believe in it. You don't want to think like that. Which in turn makes our view of God something that we constructed instead of letting God show us who he truly is. And then he becomes the God of popular culture. The God of popular culture, what is that? I've said it multiple times. What is or who is this God of popular culture? The God revealed by the Holy Spirit is very different than the God of popular culture. Many Christians are trying to serve a culturally relevant God who is nothing like the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The God of popular culture is a God responsible for the bad things that take place in the world, but often not the good things. Think about it like this. If somebody passes away, we often hear, well, God wanted them home. But the underlying message in that statement is God must have had a part in that person dying. Essentially, what we're saying is, is God is the reason that person died, which isn't true. But I've caught myself saying that to people. We, it, it's grief, it's pain. We don't always know how to respond on both sides of the equation where you say things, but when we said God wanted somebody home, that's essentially saying God had a part in that person dying. But we know when God wants people home, he just takes them. Enoch, Elijah, they didn't die, they were just gone (laughs) because God needed them home. I think about when my dad died when I was 15 years old, and I think about, I wasn't a Christian at the time. Obviously, I had to deal with all of the grief and the stuff later on when I became a Christian because I pushed it all aside. But if somebody came up to me the second after my dad died and he said, well, God just wanted him home, I would look at that person and I would say, so God planned on letting a 15-year-old kid stay here without a father figure for the rest of his life. That's what I would hear because we're in pain and we're in grief and I wouldn't know how to respond to that. That's God's timing. This is God's plan. I don't understand it. Popular culture has decided that God is mean, selfish, and the cause of bad things in our lives, which creates a mindset where the question stops being who is God and becomes who is God to you. It creates mindsets that aren't right when we ask who is God to us. We develop a bad theology and we have a poor understanding of who God is when we start to ask these questions in the wrong way. This is where performance-based faith comes in. This is where if something bad happens to us, we ask ourselves, what did I do to make God mad? What sin in my life caused this bad thing to happen to me? Was I not praying enough? Was I not attending church enough? Was I not serving enough? Was I not hanging out with the youth group students good enough? Was I not, you know, serving coffee good enough? Did I do something bad to my family? We begin to ask these questions because we view God as, as, as the person who causes bad things to happen in our life. So then we begin to say, oh, my faith is not good enough, so I must be doing something wrong. Instead of knowing that we just live in a broken world, which we'll get to in just a minute, but the truth is, is there's only one God and Jesus fully revealed him. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That means when we see Jesus, we see who God is. It's not that when Jesus was here on earth, he only showed us the amazing and the good sides of who God was. It means that there's no other side to God. God is only good. There's only one side of God. There's not a good side and there's not a bad side. There is a good side and that is everything. That is who God is. 
He's not a God who we have to cower from or be fearful of. That's not his character and that's not who he is. God is only good. We did a series in youth group, oh gosh, like six months ago. And we called it, You Asked For It. Ask me why I did it at the end of service. I've done it a few times and every time I get to the end of it, I'm like, man, I'm never doing that again. But it's where students essentially, they write down their questions about faith, culture, and the Bible. And other things, if they have questions, relationships, all the good stuff. And Courtney and I would co-teach and answer the really tough questions to the best of our ability. (laughs) And one of the most common questions that we would get asked every single time by multiple people is, if God is so good, how can bad things happen? Or for lack of better terms, is God the cause of evil? And I think Paul is trying to tell us something when we, when we read his prayer that we might know God as he truly is and understand what he has done. That he's not evil, and he's not the cause of evil, because he's good. Some people look at the presence of evil in the world and say that it's evidence of God himself being evil. How could a good God do this? How could a good God allow this? But what if we're asking the wrong question? What if we're asking the wrong questions? What if all the pain and the suffering and the evil we see in the world is not God's fault, but it's actually our fault? It's an uncomfortable thought, right? But it's important for us to know that the truth is, is God created the world and he gave it to us. There were no disasters, there was no evil, there was no pain, there was no brokenness, there was no sin. And we, being made in God's image and placed here, were given the opportunity to continue to live in that pristine condition with God. He gave it to us as a gift. He trusted us with a gift. It wasn't a conditional offering. God wasn't like, if you treat the earth well, well, you'll keep it. If you don't, I'm taking it back. We received the gift and we took dominion over it. God gave us rule over all of it. That meant that, whether we ch- that meant that whatever we choose to do with it would be our responsibility. And what we did with it would have a universal impact. Our decisions would dictate the conditions of the world. God gave that power to us, but we gave it away to somebody else. We gave it away to Satan, the personification of evil. And when we gave that power away, evil was given a doorway to enter the world, and there was an undoing of a sinless world. Sickness, death, violence, disasters, everything became a reality in an instant. Not because of some sick and twisted plan from God, but because we chose to give Satan what God had given us. But this is where we see the goodness of God, is that God didn't just walk away from us. He provided an opportunity for our choice to be reconsidered. He decided to act with goodness in in the chaos that we created, to intervene in a way that would be redemptive for us. The people who messed all of it up, so that we could have a second chance and we could have a hope for the future, the hope that we, as the church on Monday, are called to bring to the world. And this is where our theology, our biblical understanding and view of God becomes so important. 
When we view God in the lens of popular culture, we place God as the reason for bad things. But when we look at this from a biblical perspective, when we see God as predictably good, we realize, yeah, our humanity is broken and messed up, but God being good never gave up up on us, and we begin to see Jesus in a very, very different light. We see him as predictably good all the time. And the way we view things in the world become radically different. Whatever evil happens to us, you'll be able to to declare with so much confidence, complete confidence, who God is. God is not causing this. This is not a... God is not causing us. This is a byproduct of a broken world. God is still with us, and I know without a doubt that God is going to step into this situation with me because he is good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. On the cross, God is essentially saying, I no, I won't allow this sin and the brokenness to rule over your life. I will bring resolution to your pain. I will bring freedom to the chains in your life. I will give you a way to be close to me again because I am good and I love my children deeply. God being good gave us a way to approach him with confidence again because he is our our ever-present help in in our times of struggle and need. He's not the one making us sick. He's the one who heals us from sickness. He's not the one causing your problems in life. He's the one who wants to come alongside us in our struggle and bring us relief from the things that are weighing us down in our life. He is not the reason that the bad things happen in our life, but he is the one who's going to step in and help us walk through it. When this is our our theology, our, our philosophy, whatever you want to call it of Jesus, our launching point to go into the world and be the church on Monday, We don't have to be afraid when people ask us the hard questions like what our students asked us a few months ago. When we know who God is and that he loves us and he's always good and always has the best in store for us, we can respond to the questions that are asked of us in the world with confidence and courage. We can respond to these questions knowing that they are a reflection of a broken world and reflections of a hurting human heart. And we get to come alongside others who are hurting or experiencing the brokenness of the world and offer a radically different and transformative understanding of who God actually is and how much love and goodness and hope and forgiveness he has waiting for us. So remember, you are what you believe. When we confidently believe in the goodness of God and the truth of who he is, we help reveal his goodness and true character to the world around us. And when we have a right biblical view, our heart and our very nature begins to be shaped and transformed into the likeness of God. That's the whole point, becoming more like Jesus, right? That's our goal, that's our hope, that's what we wanna strive to be. We wanna be like Jesus, we wanna love like Jesus, we wanna serve like Jesus. So remember, he doesn't create evil. He's not the cause of evil but he is the one who brought forgiveness. He is the one who brought hope. He is the one who didn't give up on a broken people who had messed everything up and given away our responsibility of the world. He is the one who created a plan to bring freedom to the people who messed it up. 
because he is predictably good all the time. And I wanna leave you with this and then I'm gonna pray. And it's not homework, I promise. If anything, you should be like, yes, I wanna do that. (laughs) Woohoo. If you wanna learn about Jesus and develop a good theology of who Jesus is, start reading the gospels. I would recommend the gospel of John because the gospel of John really shows us the character of who Jesus is and how he interacted with his disciples and the people that he came into contact with. And this is my challenge, read the gospels and then ask yourself the question, is this the Jesus that I'm carrying out into the world on Monday? Because when we read about Jesus and we learn about Jesus, we develop this theology and this understanding. And it's so funny, when I was an early Christian, I was like, I was reading the gospels and I was doing the thing and I was like, I'm so excited to go talk about this to the world out there. And then I got out there and I get scared because I would think that I didn't actually know what I was talking about, right? You get kind of scared, you get, you get nervous, but when we have the confidence and the courage because of our good foundation and our good theology, we get to talk to the people with the hope of the savior of who, this is Jesus, he's the savior of the world. We should want everybody to know about that, but we have to have a good foundation and a good theology to correctly tell other people about him, amen? Well, Lord, we, we give you thanks this morning that you're a good God, you're predictably good, Jesus. You're not the cause of the bad things that are happening in our life. You are not the reason that that bad things are going on in the world around us. But Lord, you are the one who is good and wants to step in and bring freedom in those areas. So Lord, we just ask right now that, that you would give us a heart to see you in a new light. To see you in a biblical way, Jesus. We just ask for wisdom and revelation into who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we are the church on Monday, we would walk with confidence and courage, knowing that we get to proclaim who you are because you are good and that is all you are. So Lord, be with us as we enter this week. Be with us as we try to live out being the church on Monday. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.